This is a scriptural passage taken from um, John chapter 2, verse 12 to 22, and John chapter 20, verse 31, and you can find this in your pew Bibles. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing that by believing you may have life in his name. Good morning. Today truly is an exciting day because um, it uh, is an opportunity for us to reflect on our relationship with the Lord in a very special way because on uh, Friday evening we had a service here and um, while I was uh, sitting here and then uh, in that particular case I was leading the Lord's Supper, I kept reflecting on the cross that is behind me on the wall. And the fact that our cross does not have Jesus still on it. And as I reflected on that, that is one of the unique aspects of the Jesus that we serve and worship. Is that indeed, He did not just die and remain on a cross. He arose. And that He lives today in our lives. As we looked at the Scripture today in John chapter 2, verses 12 to 22, the thing that kept coming to mind as I was preparing for this was man's confusion is God's opportunity. And the confusion is very much tied to the fact that even this past week here in our worship services and our activities, uh, we have to reflect on history. We have to reflect on, on the lives we've lived. But Good Friday is, a, is something that, you know, some people say that that meant God Friday. And some will reflect on the idea that, uh, that originally it was it's just a misspelling kind of thing. But for most, we understand that Good Friday is the beginning of a revelation that God's going to do what He said He was going to do through the life of Christ as He walks through a process of, of difficulty and pain and suffering and sacrifice on your behalf and mine, only to, within three days, conquer that death, conquer that experience, 
and give us a Savior that lives in our lives today. So, Good Friday, we have to find a sense of joy and reflection even as we look at that. But Good Friday for some people is a day of disappointment. And certainly, without the resurrection, Good Friday would be a day of disappointment. Because it would mean it's basically over. It would mean we would see what Jesus had done, and yet He did not prove anything. He went to a cross. He gave His life. But you know, there are those who would... uh, Try to understand what would motivate a man to do that, even for fame or for fortune. Jesus was a very interesting individual in that he used many illustrations and parables and teachings as his approach to try to communicate simple issues. When people study in seminary, one of the things you're always talking about is the issue of sermon illustrations, trying to find ways to give a little story that might clarify your meaning. Jesus was a master at being able to do that. And yet, even as masterful as Jesus was, some of the time, His illustrations or His parables still left His listeners a little confused. He, he left the, the story a bit in a cloud he gave an explanation and he intentionally left it in a, situa- in, in a status that people were still trying to evaluate the exact meaning. On the, on the other hand, at times Jesus' illustrations and parables were crystal clear. They very much clarified exactly what he intended to communicate. Today we're here to worship our Lord and His love toward us. The story we're looking at is about Jesus and the money changers. Now, this sounds a little strange at first, but as we read that whole section of Scripture, I think you noted, as certainly I did, that it tells us a lot about the character and personality of Jesus. When John was writing this part of the Scripture, he was very much on task. In John chapter twenty thirty one, it tells us, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John was focused on the lost. The reason we have the Gospels is not just so we can learn some things about Jesus and walk away saying, my, He was a smart, intelligent man. My, He was a gracious person who cared. John wrote with intent and with burden. And indeed, even in Scripture, we can reflect on John 3.16 because it clarifies that he, he, he loved, that Jesus loved and that God loved and that there was a care and an outreach for all of man to even forgive our sins and to give us yet another opportunity to walk with God. So ultimately today, part of what I'm wanting us to do is take a moment as we consider the resurrection and we consider the cross and we consider the whole process of Christmas, Palm Sunday, the day that He entered into the city and everything was going great and everybody loved Jesus because they had seen miracle after miracle, over 40 of them. 
And these, all these miracles they had heard about or seen had impacted their life and they thought, wow, following this Jesus is great. And yet within a matter of days, Jesus was on a cross. And people were questioning. They were confused. They didn't understand why all this was going on. So I want us today to think about some of Jesus' life. Who was this guy? And in John chapter 2, it kind of gives... I find it interesting that so many important things in Scripture seem to happen around Passover. You know, yesterday, uh, the uh, Sikh uh, Punjabi population primarily in this area were very active. If you wanted to get some unique food, yesterday was the day to get it. Uh, You could not walk more than three blocks without bumping into someone handing out food. And they were very, very busy, very, very loud, and very, very happy. It was a party atmosphere. I saw some of the most beautiful clothing I've ever seen. The colors just absolutely bowled me over because they were so striking. And they were, the, the women were dressed in such beautiful dresses. But the atmosphere was very much a, a light atmosphere, a positive atmosphere, as they were celebrating a type of harvest festival. Well, Jesus, when He was dealing with the Passover, also was bumping into a situation where there were masses of people, not unlike what I saw yesterday, that were coming into the city to celebrate, to reflect, to evaluate, to give praise, to worship, to do many things. And the question is, what motivated each individual? Who was Jesus? What was He like? Is Jesus the Jesus that you know an action man? John chapter 2, 12 to 15, we see a very interesting picture. His focus is not on satisfying the needs of others and making them happy with Him necessarily. His focus was the will of God in all things. doesn't mean He tried to irritate people. He was concerned about people. That was His number one concern. But that concern existed because of the will of God to care for man. For 30 years, I mean, we're talking about Jesus had already been alive for a while. Many, many times had He come to the Passover. He had hit that date, that holiday time, that one week of special celebration as the Jewish people reflected back on the Old Testament and how God had walked them through so many difficulties. He had seen that kind of a celebration, almost a fair kind of, F-A-I-R, kind of activity, the same kind of a festival kind of atmosphere. He had been to the temple. He had seen the temple. He had seen what people were doing when they were going in couple. He already coming in. He had all of those thoughts in his mind when he thought about what Passover was and what it was going to be. It's easy today for us to think of Easter as a religious or ceremonial type of time. Just as Jesus was there at Passover to celebrate, we also, uh, as we look at Easter, have the religious aspect of who we are impacting our lives. But it should be a time of celebration. It should be a time of excitement. 
It should be a time that we are recognizing something special in our lives that God has placed there. The atmosphere of the Passover was a little bit different. It was a little bit of a challenge because we had a government that was struggling with Passover. We had a Roman government that had to allow the Passover. They had to allow the Jewish people to have this activity. They had to allow them to do these different... But they at the same time were allowing the Jewish people to celebrate their little private religious activities. At the very same time, though, they were watching carefully for troublemakers. In a sense, Jesus was a bit of a troublemaker. Jesus brought ideas and thoughts, questioned things that indeed the, uh, the, it stirred things up a bit. His values seemed a little different than just doing religion as usual. You see, the Roman government had learned enough about the Jewish people and their beliefs that as long as they can find their thinking and their values and their morals and their religious experience to the confines of their temple and certain activities that they did, they could allow it and live with it pretty much because they understood what it was. Once it broke out beyond that, once people like Jesus came in and said, I'm here as a part of a movement, not just religion, that was threatening. It was something that they did not have the ability to control or contain. The Romans were aware of the situation with Jesus and there was a hope that they could satisfy the needs of the Jewish leadership without getting into too many trouble. The Jesus that most of us think about is the Jesus that's the soft-spoken teacher, the encourager, the one who holds children who does miracles at his own pleasure. Yet the Jesus of John chapter 2, verses 12 to 25, takes us a little bit further. It's not a different Jesus. It's the same Jesus. It's a different part of his character, a different part of his personality. But it's the same Jesus. I dare say you, like myself, have different things that go on in our lives that impact us differently. There are times when we appear to be the most soft-spoken, non-committal almost type of person one could ever imagine. And there are times when someone will say something or do something that will challenge our thinking, our values, our morals, our goals, our plans, our hopes, our dreams. It may say maybe something that says something about your spouse or about your children about your mother or your father. And when you hear it, it demands a response. Jesus did not compromise when it came to sin. That is the Jesus that I know. Not the Jesus that would just simply say, anything you want to do is okay. That's your call. I have a son that he and I have been through this discussion related to his generation. And we've discussed the idea of how far tolerancy can go. Is there ever a point when you have to say sin is sin, evil is evil, good is good, bad is bad? It's very challenging for him. 
And yet the Jesus that I find in Scripture, in love and because of love. Now, I think this is something we need to understand. You can stand up in the name of Christ out of love. Because you cannot allow certain behavior to be treated as if it doesn't matter. It's unimportant. And Jesus was that kind of individual. This is the Jesus that says He will not compromise with sin. This is the Jesus that clearly knows the value of salvation for men. Jesus was respectful of religion. Don't misunderstand. Remember, He went to be with other people in worship. It was the Passover. He was able to participate in the Passover. He understood the importance. He understood and appreciated history. He knew that the history of those people was in, that it was important for them to understand and grasp that God had carried them through difficult times. Just with you and me. I don't imagine there are many of us in this room who could truthfully say, I've never had any problems in my life, so I have no idea what God could do. Most of us, and certainly myself, have to admit, I've had times that I've struggled with God, I've struggled with myself, I've struggled with other people, and ultimately it was only God that got me through. Jesus was respectful of the Passover, yet He found Himself disturbed to the core over the idea that sin should be ignored. And so, we have to recognize that for him, tolerance when it comes to sin was not an alternative for him. That would have been apathy. And Christ was anything but apathetic in that sense. As we look at verse 14, we see that he observed the situation. He saw how the love of money had overtaken the hearts of those business, doing business in the temple. And he was appalled. For him and all Jewish people, the temple was the center of their worship. He could see the beauty of the temple. He understood the value. But the main thing was not just, is this a beautiful building, a nice place to come to? When he saw the temple, when he was a part of the temple, he recognized the purpose of the temple. The purpose being prayer and worship. Focus on God. In verse 15, it says, He took the time to braid a whip. Now, I've thought about that one. I tried to picture that one on my mind. Whether he went over and he sat down on a, a bench and sat there and was thinking hard, you know, well, okay, what am I going to do with these people? As he's sitting there working and braiding this thing. But, you know, it didn't say, <coughs> didn't say he looked around for a rope. It doesn't say he looked around and found. It says that he took the time to braid a whip. So it meant he had to consider it. He knew what he was doing. And he said, you know, because of my love for these people, I cannot allow them to continue on doing nothing. Being motivated by wrong things. Being motivated by just playing religion. I'm going to have to do something about this. So he was sitting there and he was doing this and he was braiding this whip. 
He must have considered the corruption of the religious system that he was observing. He could not remain passive. He could not remain tame. He didn't attempt to discuss or debate with the people about why they were doing what they were doing. He just simply at a certain point said, enough is enough. What happened to the Jesus that we know and we love? What happened to the soft, just do the teachings in the classroom Jesus? It is the same Jesus. The strengths of Jesus are often ignored when we fear discomfort at seeing Him dealing with sin. It was His own religious friends that offended Him most. It was the people that were like Him who had come to that temple saying they were coming for the purpose of worship. And He said, I don't believe that's what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is hypocrisy. I'm seeing you playing games with God. Now, I'm not saying this is for us. I'm saying that that is where they were. And Jesus said, I will put up with no more. So if we want to understand Jesus, don't just give me the soft, touchy-feely Jesus alone. That is who Jesus is. But Jesus is also that man who says, I have conviction. I have commitment. And I will not compromise with our world and our society. Jesus' stance toward the temple situation. Verses 16 and 17. <coughs> Jesus reveals why he was so angry. He was tired of people playing religion for themselves or playing church. He chose to use one of the the most difficult and sensitive areas to describe what his displeasure was, as he said that the root of all evil is money or the love thereof. After the temple, he looked in the temple and he saw their hearts. He understood. Now let's not be naive on this situation. As these people had traveled hundreds of miles to come together to the temple at Passover time for this week of festival time, they also, during that festival, were bringing lambs, bringing their different sacrifices that they were going to the temple to slaughter as a way of saying, cleanse my sin. He understood that, and he understood that the goal was to always give your best. So one of the simple, easy ways to give your best was to go to the temple, go in and buy a, an unblemished animal. You could buy the best there. It's much more convenient than dragging your sheep along for 50 miles. You know, you get there, you buy your nice one, everything is good. But the thing that's fascinating is Jesus could see beyond just the convenience issue. He could see the hearts of men. And as He looked at their hearts, He could see that it was more than just an issue of convenience that challenged these people to use this particular method. And he looked within their hearts in the church or in that particular temple environment and he could see that they were following empty religion. The question that was asked of him was, how do you dare to do what you do? 
Now, I, I don't know if you've thought through what this would be like, but I know I, trying to imagine in our own worship service, if I came in and, and suddenly with the, with the offering we gave, I just threw it on the ground. That's basically what Jesus was doing. He was saying, this money is not the center of why we gather. These animals, I'm going to set them all free. So set all the sacrifices free. And He said, I'm setting the sacrifices free. I'm throwing the money on the ground. You money changers that are running around in here are doing it trying to make a little extra buck outside of your, you know, put in your pocket knowing full well that the purpose of the temple is to worship and to serve and to pray. You're confused, and I'm not going to put up with it. Jesus was not a softy. When He saw it, He said, enough is enough. Now we know one of the questions, then according to the Scripture, was immediately they challenged Him. And that the challenge, which would make sense, if you were a temple leader, if you from the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or the scribes or anyone else that was there in a leadership position, and this guy Jesus that you'd already heard about came into your mid, the middle of your group, and he started turning over tables, and he started freeing all of the animals that were there for sacrifice, representing everything that was different than what they had known as official religion, of course, out would come the question, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? By what sign, by what reason would you have the power and the authority to do what you're doing? And instead of giving the answer that might make everyone happy, Jesus goes right ahead and challenges them one more time. And his words weren't exactly what they wanted to hear. Verse 19, this is one of those times when Jesus' words were not perfectly crystal clear. He spoke of his own death and the resurrection and being raised from the dead three days later. And it confused his hearers. His hearers didn't get it all. And I think that um, that's not entirely a shock at that point. But as we look at what the reference is here, Jesus is referring to Easter. Jesus is clarifying and saying, you may not get it right now. You may be focused on money and all the things of secular society today. But there will be a day. There will be a day when you're going to get it all. And you'll grasp the whole picture. When we think of Easter, we look at those particular verses. We need to recognize that it was all part of God's plan. It was not an accident that Christ ended up on a cross. It was not an accident that the resurrection occurred. Today we've kind of looked at the temple in the way that Jesus did. It was the center of life, and yet He wanted it to be a pure center. Brothers and sisters, in your life and in mine, we should be looking at our own heart and asking ourselves whether we, as we walk in the name of Christ, are pure or not. 
He undoubtedly saw the beauty of the buildings. He saw what was there. He knew what was around. He understood how important it was to the people. Sacrifices were very much a center of the life of those people. Jesus' reference to himself going onto a cross and being indeed the temple that could be risen in th- or be raised up in three days. You know, even though the scripture says, you know, their response was, are you kidding? 46 years it took to get that building in place, and now you're saying you're going to bring it up for usage again in three days? I don't think so. And yet Jesus left it at that. Knowing full well they didn't fully understand it all. Today we have to ask ourselves, what do we expect from Easter? What is Easter to you? Easter eggs are not sinful. The Easter bunny is not sinful. And yet, when we look at John chapter 2, we have to at least allow ourselves to ask, who is the Jesus we follow and serve? Is your Jesus the only one that teaches out of a book? Is Jesus the one who walks a difficult road, a challenging road? If you, how we understand Jesus helps us to understand what kind of a Christian we must be. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. That means compromise and unwillingness to stand in difficult times. It means we're not doing a very well, a very good job. A number of years ago, uh, I read a book by Josh McDowell. And it was talking about Jesus being a liar or being a lunatic, being a legend or being Lord. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis followed up on that as well. But even 200 years ago, there was a famous Scottish pastor who started that whole discussion simply saying, the Jesus that we follow reveals a lot about ourselves. If our faith is based just strictly on memorization, without understanding who Jesus is and what He's done, we are missing part of the point. And that's the reason today we looked at John chapter 2. A bold Jesus, a strong Jesus, a Jesus that said, I will not compromise with what our world says is right. I will define what is right and what is wrong. For us as Christians, we have to allow ourselves to be under the Lordship of Jesus. Indeed, the question of whether or not Jesus would have actually tricked Himself into being or calling Himself Lord is absurd. Whether He would trick other people is absurd. But ultimately, the challenge is to ask ourselves, Is He really the Son of God? Today, Christians around the globe are celebrating the resurrection. It's a joyful day. It's an exciting day. It's a positive day. And yet, it's fascinating to me. I read an article this week that said one-fourth of the so-called, and that means self-proclaimed, Christians in Britain will tell you that they are Christians, but they do not believe in the resurrection. 
Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are on that one, but I really sat back and tried to think it through and find if there was any way in my heart to determine that that's possible to call yourself a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. One of the questions that I certainly would ask those people is, how did you choose what part of the Scripture to ignore and what part to accept? Is the Bible there for your convenience to adjust it as you prefer? You and I follow Christ not because we follow a religion. We follow Christ because of a relationship. The relationship that He established with us. We have to accept it. We shake His hand and we say thank you. We reach out. Yes, we're involved, but ultimately He took the first step. He's the one that reached out on a cross for you, for me. And beyond that cross, He chose to conquer death with the resurrection. We follow Christ. Jesus on Easter gives us hope, joy, and a renewed spirit. Who do you follow? Who is your Jesus? Are we confused? Or do we find joy in the fact that God took the opportunity to allow Jesus' life to change our life. Let us pray. Father God, we come before You today looking at our own hearts. We recognize that we often are confused. We recognize that our world would like to box us up calling us Christians and meaning that we are religious and show up on Sunday to church. We recognize that there are many things that can control our values and our goals. But Father, we would ask that You would give us freedom in Christ, joy in Christ, to appreciate that our Savior lives, that the resurrection is the very center of who we are as we follow Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Father, we would ask that even as the the book of John chapter 2 toward the end (laughs) reveals that gradually, (coughs) gradually the readers of that began to understand that the meaning was that Jesus was the temple. That the temple was not just a building built that took 46 years. That the temple is the life of Jesus. And that sacrifice is no longer required because Jesus was the final sacrifice. Father, we give You praise that You provided that final sacrifice and that to this day, if we will depend on Jesus as our Savior and Lord, He will guide us. He will give us meaning and give us purpose. We thank You for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank You that we worship and serve a living God. In Jesus' name.